funny, all across our country today, right now, people are gathered together. They've sang together. They've listened to sermons or they're listening to a sermon. And they're doing what we call church. Yet if we were to be honest today, Action Church included, it really looks nothing like the church found in the Bible. We've Americanized the church. We've corporated the church. We've added the business world to the church. We've made church a place that looks so much like the world, yet we wonder why we don't see the same results we saw in the book of Acts when the church was founded. We've turned the church into a business instead of a family. And as you read through the books of Acts, and if you don't know the book of Acts, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the Gospels. They're all about the life of Jesus. Jesus has went back to heaven. He's left the disciples to carry out the mission of God. And in the book of Acts, they create this amazing thing called the local church. And the local church was full of power. And the local church was full of life change. And people who were literally on their way to a devil's hell came in touch with the church and they were pointed to Jesus and their lives were forever changed because of the church. And as you read the book of Acts, you'll see this powerful unit that was united together over and over and over and over in the book of Acts. You'll see that the Bible says they were in unity, that they were in accord that they were united around the vision they had to reach their communities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The God, Jesus, when he went back to heaven, he left the church here to carry out his mission. And yet we live in a day and time where the church is becoming more and more powerless. Did you know that, that in America, church attendance has been in decline for almost 30 years now? In decline. The average church in America, this is kind of hard for us to believe because we drive around and we see the mega churches, but we don't see all the, the, the small little country churches that way numerous or outnumber the big churches. The average church attendance in America is 67 people. The average church in America has not baptized one individual in the last three years. Something that God left to be powerful and life-changing has dwindled off. And I can't help but think of, is it because we've got away from what it looked like when it had that power? Here's what the Bible says about the first church in Acts chapter 2. The Bible says they, they being the church, they who had just come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I find it ironic that those who went into a relationship with Jesus Christ, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The church didn't force them to come learn. The church didn't have to have a Bible study every night of the week on every subject hoping it would strike somebody's interest. The people had a craving to learn about the things of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They <laughs> devoted themselves to fellowship. They were doing life with one another. There's no more powerful thing than doing life with somebody. The Bible says we were not created to be alone. We were made for relationships. I just never got connected at that church. Well, I'm sorry that you came in four minutes before the service started and left when the last song was going on and never said hello to anybody. Sorry that didn't work out for you. The Bible says he who has friends must show himself friendly. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, doing life together, sharing meals together. There's something powerful about sharing a meal with someone. And prayer. Everyone, everyone. Guess what that word means? Everyone. It's amazing. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders in the sign performed by the apostles' life for being changed. All the believers were together. And they had everything in common. They sold their property, their possessions. They gave to anyone who had a need. This is not saying we should go out into the woods and start a commune. It's not saying we should start a cult and everybody should sell everything and we should give it. What it's saying is as they saw needs, they were willing to do whatever it took to meet those needs of the people they were doing life with. Every day. You gripe about one day a week. You gripe, man, we do good to make it on Sunday at 10 o'clock. 
Literally somebody told me they wouldn't be at church today because the Super Bowl comes on tonight. Okay, cool. Every day they met together. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I mean, these were a happy people. They were an optimistic people. They were an excited people. They were a positive people. They were contrary to what you see in the average church today. The average church is full of people steeped in tradition who are there out of duty instead of being there because they want to be there. They're more interested in judging people in the way things have always been done than the fact that lives are being changed. Praising God and joining the Pharaoh people. And here's what's amazing to me. And the Lord added to their number daily. Daily. So at a minimum, the church was growing by 365 people a year. At a minimum. Because at least one person was getting added to the number daily. All those who are being saved. I like that it says all those who are being saved. They weren't out trying to grab people from other churches. They were going after those that didn't know God and they were having their lives radically changed. And when you go after those that, that don't know God and they come in and they have their lives changed, they tell their friends and, and the numbers are added daily. And there was power in the church. God has left the local church here to carry out its mission and I believe that looks different for every church. I believe every church has one vision, to point people to Jesus. But I believe every church has different ways they go about doing that. And I think that's what's beauty, beautiful about the body of Christ. Here at Action Church, we have a very distinct way we go about that. We don't think it's the only way to do that. We don't think it's the right way to do it. We don't think it's the wrong way to do it. We think it's the unique way that God called us to do it. Before we ever had our first service, I wrote this down. I went back and pulled the file up this week. I wrote this down. I said, I want Action Church to look like AA meeting meets comedy club meets bar, all centered around pointing people to Jesus. <laughs> wrote that down eight years ago. I wanted it to be a place where the broken could come. Those who have hurts and habits and hang-ups could come through the doors of the church and the world beats them up, so I wanted them to be able to laugh and have a good time. And I wanted people to hang out in the lobby and laugh and cut up together and do life together. And I wanted it to feel like a bar. That was very important to me. That was very important to me. And you say, that's kind of weird. Here's why. Because I think the average bar looks a whole, more, whole lot more like the early church than the average church. What? Yeah. You haven't been to a bar lately. I was at a bar recently. About two weeks ago with most of y'all. And guess what was happening in that bar? People were laughing together, having a good time together, talking about their week together, sharing a meal together. Check, check, check this out. Nobody was judging anybody. Check this out, check this out. All different walks of life were there. I looked around our table at one time and I thought to myself, they make six figures a year. And they, this will probably be the only time they can afford to go out all month. And yet neither one of them care and neither one of them are even thinking about that. They're just having a good time together. That's the way the church ought to look. It's a simple vision. But we're very clear in our vision. You can look around Action Church sometimes and think, man, it's chaotic and it's disorganized. And, and, and somebody even told me something, I just don't understand why things aren't done with excellence around here. Uh, I, I don't really know what that meant. But everything's done intentional. There, there's a reason the music is like the music is, because it goes back to that statement I wrote eight years ago. And there's a reason the walls are gray and the ceiling's black and you walk in, there's lots of lights and lots of sound. And, and there's tables in the middle of the place because it goes back to that vision we had eight years ago. And we just felt like that was the way we could go about making Jesus famous. I'm not interested in the way things have always been. I'm not interested in, in the traditions. My wife and I, last night I was laying in bed and I 
I, every once in a while, I forget that I even have a Twitter account. I don't know if any of you have a Twitter account. I have a Twitter account, and I forget that I have a Twitter account. But I get one thing out of Twitter. I follow this Twitter account that goes around and shows, I, I want to say they're hilarious, but they're actually just so sad. Minute and a half clips of preachers preaching in their crazy doctrine. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Last night, we watched a preacher talk about how women should wear dresses and men should wear pants. I've heard that before. No big deal. Here was the shocker to it, though. He then started berating the parents. Did he not? Christine wasn't even paying attention. She's like, what did he just say? About getting baby girls out of onesie sleepers because they'll grow up thinking they're men. Did he? This was a sermon. It was amazing. It was amazing. Then I watched another one this morning because he updates all the time. It's great. And this preacher had all the women. He said, all you women, stand up. And he said, I want you to smile. And of course, you can't see the crowd, but I guess all the women are smiling. And then he said this. I thought, my God, this guy, this, can you, this is literally what I thought to myself. He does not have a Lisa Hawkins in his crowd. Because he would not pull this. He said, I want you all to smile. And when I tell you to smile, say, yes, sir. That's what he said. And so you can hear the women. There's like four of them because there's probably eight people in the whole service. And they're like, I, I mean, I guess is the way I picture it. Yes, sir. He said, that's good. Sit down. He goes, I did that to tell you this. Now, ladies, you don't have a right in the house of God to say amen. He said, you don't have the right to raise your hand. He said, he went on this list of all these women didn't have a right. And he said, but you got a right to smile. You ought to be happy in the house of God. He goes, I don't even know if any of you got teeth. You look so miserable. I thought, well, they're miserable because they're listening to you preach. And they're married to some idiot who's listening to you preach. But it was fantastic. <laughs> but, like, that's what's passing as church nowadays. <laughs> the church is worried about everything and anything except the gospel. It's going to upset some of you, but the church has got more interested in politics than it has the gospel. We ought to care about politics. I, I believe we ought to care about politics. As an individual, I care about politics. As a church, I care about Jesus. So we got to get back to what the church is like. And so I thought it would just be a good time for us to kind of do a reminder of some things that were just very important when we started this church and remain very important today just to regroup where we can get back like an Acts, where they were all in unity and one accord. Let me go ahead and say this ahead of time. We're not dealing with any issues here. We're not dealing with any disunity here. There's nobody fighting about the vision of Action Church. But that's the problem with so many people. It's kind of like our car. We don't get our car maintained until there's actually a problem with it. So I think when there's not a problem with it, because when there is a problem with it and I get up on stage, I do it with a little bit of chip on my shoulder. Surprise. I thought it'd be just a good time for the month of February to regroup and remind you why Action Church exists. Just some values, if you will, that are important to us. And the first one is this, no judgment. No judgment. From the day we started this church, I wrote this down. No judgment. With everything that is in me, this church, it's one of the hills that I'm willing to die on. And there's not many hills I'm willing to die on. But I'm willing to die that this will be a judgment free zone in a day and time where the bars look more like the church than the church i think this is one of the biggest issues you know why people are more comfortable in a bar because they can go in there with all of their hurts all their habits all their hang-ups and they while they might be self-medicating those hurts habits and hang-ups nobody there is going to judge them for it yet they come into the house of god the place that ought to be the most loving ought to be the most caring ought to be the least judgmental ought to be the most loving hugging caring supportive positive place they can go and immediately they're judged they're judged for the way they act and the way they look and what they believe and who they love and the color of their skin and their social standing and whatever, who they voted for, all the stupid stuff that we can invent, they're judged for. 
if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, then Action Church must always be a place of no judgment. Most churches, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more judgmental place than the church. I know people who have went through divorces and literally been asked to leave the church they were attending because they got a divorce. Now, here's the funny thing about being a judgmental church. No church will admit that it's judgmental. They'll tell you that they love everybody and they accept everybody and they won't welcome everyone until those everyone start coming and those everyone wants to be able to participate like everyone else and suddenly it becomes an issue. The church is the most segregated place in the world because it's the place of judgment. We're comfortable when everyone looks like us and acts like us and believes like us and dresses like and, and that's not just for the, the, the super traditional crowd. Hey, that, that goes for everything. We gotta have a gay church. And we gotta have a Baptist church. And we gotta have a trans church. And we gotta have a black church. And we gotta have a modern church. And we gotta have a traditional church. And we gotta have a Baptist church and a Methodist church and an old church and a young church. Instead of just being a church that loves people right where they are. Something is wrong. It ought to be the most judgmental, the most non-judgmental place on earth. I tell people all the time, they'll call me, they'll ask about our church, and they'll ask this and that. And I say, listen, man, you can believe whatever you want to believe. You're welcome here. You don't even got to believe in God, and you're welcome here. Matter of fact, we kind of like, we dig those kinds, you know? You don't got to have it all together. And in fact, if you're perfect, don't come here because we'll corrupt your perfection. You can't tout that you're for Canton, you're for your city, if you're not for people. The Bible has a lot to say about the subject of judgmentalism. The Bible has a lot to say about judging other people. <laughs> Matter of fact, it's, it's actually way too much for us to cover. I could do an entire series on it, but that sounds very boring to me, so we're not going to. And you're not a stupid crowd, so I'm going to give you an overview today. It's such a simple concept. It's not one of those concepts we really got to dig deep into because you can say at a surface level and realize that if you're judgmental, you're sinful. You say, that's a hard statement. The Bible says to him, knoweth good and do it not, it is sin. So if we know to do something right and we don't do it, or we know someone do something wrong, and we do it anyway, it's sin. So I'm going to lay it out to you where being judgmental is sin. So if you do it, bam, that's on you. But let me show you how simple the Bible is, because the Bible says the Bible, people say the Bible is complicated. The Bible's simple, man. Man, this thing is so simple. You, you know why it's complicated to some of you? Because you don't read it. Got someone in the church, and they message me all the time about a coworker. And, and they always tell me their, their beliefs this coworker has. And their, their coworker, they said, my coworker says X. And I said, well, ask them where that's in the Bible. They swear it's in there. I said, ask them where it's in there. I need to find it. They'll come back and say, oh, they say they don't know exactly where it's at. Came to me today, you know, the Bible says, I said, yeah, it does it. I said, the Bible doesn't say that. So see, the problem with the coworker is they've never read the Bible. They've listened to what others say about the Bible. Remember a few years ago I did a series called God Never Said That? And I took all these things, like, like, the, like to say, God will never give you more than you can handle. God never said that. I actually believe God will give you more than you can handle because when you have more than you can handle, you're forced to depend on God. But we have all these beliefs and we think the Bible has all these rules and most of the time the rules are rules that don't even exist because we've never read the Bible. So we need to get back into the Bible. And the Bible has a lot to say of the subject of judgmentalism. It says this in Matthew 7. Check, check it out. This is so simple. Matthew 7. Do. What's that next word? Oh, okay. Do. Do. You can do better than that. Do. Do not judge. I just don't understand. Well, it says do not judge. Or you too will be judged. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. Holy smokes. Who wants that? For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Some of you are in bad trouble. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Another one of these little clips the other day, this dude was railing on rock and roll music. I mean, they really, this little thing that these preachers really bash on, women were whores because they wore pants and all this stuff. But I kid you not, the dude had to weigh 550 pounds. And I thought to myself, he has just completely looked over that whole thing about gluttony. I'm not judging him. But I'm like, man, you got to throw that in too, you know what I mean? When we think the Bible's like Golden Corral, we just pick and choose what we want. He was picking and choosing everything that didn't apply to his fat self. That's judgmental. No, it's not, it's not judging. I'm just speaking facts. You're worried about the sawdust in their eye, and you got a two-by-four hanging out of your eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Now, this is hardcore right here. Next verse. But then, you hypocrite and God was blunt this was like calling something Christine gets mad when I say on stage back in this day I mean this was vulgar you hypocrite take the plank out of your own eye then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye that word judge literally means to pronounce judgment, to express a strong disapproval or harsh criticism of something. It refers to the act, to being part of a judge, or to pass judgment in words and deed towards someone else. It means we set ourselves up on a pedestal like a judge is, and we think we have the right to condemn people based on their actions because of our belief system, the Bible says we don't have a right to do that. It's not our place to be the judge or to pass judgment. We have a job. And we'll get to that job real, real soon. Got to fix my mic. Hold on. It's all twisted up. I don't know how it's all twisted up, but it is. Hold on, I'm fixing it. I think my underwear hanging out the back, so I'm trying to be discreet. I don't want to drive all you ladies nuts. My tape's falling off my mic and everything. Nothing's going right today, and I'm hungry. The word judge means we set ourselves up on this pedestal to look down on people, and we don't have that right. We have a right to do something, and God tells us what we're supposed to do, but it's God's job to judge. We'll get into our job later. Jesus is talking and he's looking at people here who are attempting to judge other people based on their motives. And they're trying to judge their spiritual condition based on, don't miss this, based on what we see in their lives. And we don't know the whole story. We don't know the steps that they've taken the journey they've been on, yet we look back and get our two-second view of someone's life and we begin to judge their actions as a result of that. To be someone who judges people means you set yourself up as judge and jury. And God says that's not our job. It's an attitude that Jesus condemns. It disgusts him. There's another scripture in James. Now, you need to understand the book of James. If you ever just want to read a practical book of the Bible... Go read James. Every verse is just practical, practical truth. You say, what do you mean by practical? I mean just things you can apply to your day-to-day living every day. Here's what James says. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it. When you set yourself up to be the judge... 
You're not keeping the law that you've set yourself up to judge because you're not good enough to be the judge because you're not perfect. <laughs> when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment of it. There's only one lawgiver. Newsflash, you ain't him. There's only one lawgiver and one judge. The one who is able to save and destroy. Can you do that? Then shut up. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now let me explain something to you. That doesn't mean we don't call sin, sin. Did you know that you can call sin, sin without judging someone for that sin? That doesn't mean that we don't stand on truth. This book is truth. We stand on the truth of this book. But there's a difference in calling sin, sin, and judging those that are sinning. You're not in a position to judge those that are sinning. Let me try to give you an example of this. Got it. The Bible is very, very clear. You cannot debate it. You cannot go around about it. The Bible is very, very clear that it is sin to be drunk. Newsflash, I know some of you find that shocking. The Bible says nothing about drinking. It says everything about being drunk. So you can get up and you can speak the truth. And the Bible says you shouldn't get drunk. But when you look at someone and you call them a drunk, you're now judging them. When you're gossiping about their drinking problem, you're now judging them. When you're now saying, man, well, they could get it together if they'd quit drinking, and you, you put yourself in the place of judge, you're now judging those people. You can stand on truth without judging people for their actions. We're not the judge. We're not the one who gets to carry that out. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me give you a newsflash, baby. Look to your right. Look to your right. Look to your left. Turn around, look at the person behind you. Guess what? Every person you just saw screws up. Just because they sin differently than you, hello, doesn't make you right and them wrong. Isn't it funny how we always judge people for all the sins we don't do and overlook the ones we do do? And wow, you always can find out who's in middle school. <laughs> always would. As I see through God, read through God's words, it's very clear why we're not to judge. And I want to kind of give you this, and I'm going to tell you how we're going to handle people in the end. First reason we're not going to judge people is very simply it's unchristian. As Christ followers, guess what that means? It means we follow Christ. That's what makes us Christians. So if something is unchristian, that means it is unchristlike in its behavior. The Bible says this in James 4:11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. I already read this to you. Anyone who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment of it. Notice how many times in that portion of Scripture the word brother or sister is used over and over, three times just in that portion of Scripture. Because what the Bible says, we should not speak evil of another Christian. We should not speak evil of a family member. The Bible says once we enter into the family of God, we're brothers in Christ and we're sisters in Christ. We have the same Father, our Father who art in heaven. We have one Father together. We have the same Savior. He's Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have the same Holy Spirit living and indwelling us. We've been saved by the same blood, the blood of Christ. And that's why Paul comes along in Ephesians and says this, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are a family. Families fight. Families don't always get along. Families disagree. But families don't judge each other. 
It's unchristian. Paul comes along and says, you have one God and one Savior and one Holy Spirit. You stay focused on that. You be unified in the fact that we're united together. We are a family, and families don't speak against each other. Well, if they were a Christian, Gary, they wouldn't do blank. Who made you the judge? Because I could look at you and say, well, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't do blank. How arrogant for us to look at somebody else's life and think to ourselves, they shouldn't do this and they shouldn't do that. (laughs) No one made you the judge. It goes back to how good is good enough. If certain acts separate us from God, then what are the acts that unite us to God? Like, like I'm, you know my theory on that, how good is good enough? Like if I steal a candy bar and a beer, am I out? But if I steal a candy bar and a Coke, I'm in? Like the problem is there's no formula here because it's not how good we are. It's how good he is. It's unchristian to judge others because we all need Jesus. We all need a Savior. Not only is it unchristian, don't miss this, man. This is so simple. It's simply unloving. It's unloving. It makes you an a-hole. There's kids in the service, so I'm not going to say it, but it makes you an a-hole. It makes you just a jerk. Like, who wants to be around someone who's just, just an unloving person? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but I kind of dig me. Just being honest with you. Someone says, you're cocky. "Eh, Maybe. I think it's confidence. Sex appeal. Twisted steel. I don't know. I don't know. What I'm saying is I love myself a lot. So that's a pretty high standard of how to treat other people. It's unloving. James tells that when we speak evil of one another, we're breaking God's law. We're disobeying God's commandment. By speaking evil against people, we're not loving our brother and our sister in Christ. We become their judge not their friend. We become their judge, not their brother. It's just unloving. Billy Graham said this. It's one of my favorite quotes. I used to have it hanging in my office. He says, it's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. He says, my job to love. You know when he made that quote? Right after Bill Clinton got caught in a sex scandal. And he went to the White House and he ministered to Bill Clinton. Went and ministered to somebody who was hurting. I'm mean, this has nothing to do with politics. Went and ministered to a human being who was hurting. And the church lost their minds. The church started attacking Billy Effing Graham. I'm sorry, like, like, he's Billy freaking Graham. He's led millions of people to Jesus, never caught in scandal, never caught anything that hurt his reputation. He's Billy Graham. And the church attacked him, stopped supporting him, because he went to minister to someone hurting. And Billy being the class act he is, when people said, how do you... What do you say to people who say this about Bill Clinton and this about Bill Clinton? And he simply said, it's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them. It's just my job to love them. I get asked all the time where we stand on certain issues. Where do you stand on illegals? Are they people? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we just love them. I was like, where do you stand on the gays? Them gays. 
them gays, you know. I, I, I always answer, I'm like, are they people? Yeah, yeah. Oh, we, we just love them. New one's like, where do you stand on trans people? Are they people? Yeah. Oh, we just love them. Like, first week I moved to Canton, I don't think I've shared this story before. It's been a long time. First week I moved here, people ran a newspaper article on us, starting a new church. So that got me on everybody's radar. So I get this phone call from the, I guess it was a ministerial association or something like that. And um, they said, hey, welcome to the community. I said, hey, thank you. They said, we're going to the city council meeting this week, and we'd love for you to join us. Oh, cool. What are you going to the city council meeting for? Well, at that time, this finds it hard to believe 15 years ago, someone was trying to open a strip club in Canton. <laughs> and I, I'll never forget. The guy said, what do you think about strippers? I said, well, are they people? <laughs> so I say a new message for me. Oh, yeah. I said, oh, we love them. My last church had that as a slogan in one of our marketing campaigns. Blank church. We love strippers. That's how we started. the first t-shirt we ever had. I refused to go to that meeting. Because, see, the problem is you see a stripper, and you see a trans, and you see a gay person, and you see a black person, and you see a poor person, and you see a Democrat, and you see a Republican, and I just see people. Because that's what God sees. I know someone about half of you applauded. Will someone please go let them know that on the side of that door, we can't hear that. I'm telling you, that's where we stand. I'll preach to 10 people every freaking week if that's what it takes to have that stand. You're not going to change my mind on that stand. You're not going to change my belief on that stand. You're not going to change my conviction on that stand. Our job is to love people. We're in the people business. And you don't love people when you're judging people. I didn't say you can't have personal beliefs. But if your personal beliefs have to do with hating someone based on their personal beliefs, your personal beliefs are wrong. So in loving, the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved white people. Oh, don't say that, my bad. My bad. I got mixed up there. For God so loved the world. The world. Not just Americans. I dig America, man. Thank God for America. Man, I'm proud to be an American. But Christ didn't come for America. He came for the world. We talked about that. I don't remember if it was last week or two. Remember we talked about Jonah going and ministering to all these people that were just horrible, wicked people? God loved those people. That's hard for some of you to accept. That doesn't mean we ought to not protect ourselves. That doesn't mean I don't think we ought to have laws. That doesn't mean any of those things that I'm not getting into today. But we're to love people. And you can't love people when you're judging people. Everybody deserves love. Thank God when I was unlovable, a small handful of people loved me. Thank God when I have screwed up and I have messed up and I have embarrassed people that, man, God still loved me. And we could get old school Baptists today and we could have testimony time, testify. And you could stand up all day long talking about how unlovable you've been and how God loved you no matter what. Who are we not to love others when they screw up, when people have loved us? In the midst? But our screw-ups were different. <laughs> you don't get to classify, judge. Take your black robe off. Man. 
It's unchristian. It's unloving. It's unjustified. It's unjustified. James 4.12, there is one lawgiver. I added that last part. <laughs> and guess what? You're not him. I'm going to change that to the GLV version. The Gary Lamb version. There's one lawgiver. And guess what? You ain't him. That word lawgiver is used six times in the Old Testament, one time in the New Testament, and every time it's referring to God. Only God has the right to judge. It's part of the job description of God. Judge. It's not in our job description to judge others. It's not in our job to judge other people. God has not created us to go around judging people. He has created us to what? Love people. Wow, it's not complicated. I'm telling you, it's easy. One of the greatest mistakes I think we make in our culture is we love to generalize people by, by, by just the one mistake they made. We think one mistake slanders their whole character. He's a drunk. He is a drunk, man. I know. But you know what? He's a good dude. He's always been good to me. And he helps a lot of people. Man, he's, a, he's an adulterer. She's an adulterer. She's a whore. Isn't it funny they're always whores when they're women? Yeah. <laughs> you won't come preach. <laughs> you know? Man goes sleep with a hundred women. He's a stud. Woman's a whore. Man. Somebody makes one foolish mistake, and man, we, we throw away all the good they've ever done. It's a shame. Maybe he just slipped and fell. Maybe she just slipped and fell. Maybe she made some poor choices. You've been there mistakes happen. Guess why? Because we're not perfect. Golly, it's unjustified. Can't judge a book by its cover. No, you can't. I'm telling you, some of the meanest looking, roughest looking people I've ever seen walk into church or walk through these doors and they're some of the most giving and loving you'll ever meet. And some of those, I'll just be honest with you, some of those that have come through here and I thought, man, look at them. They part their hair and their clothes match and they know what an iron is. And man, they were some of the worst. And vice versa. You don't judge a book by its cover. There's several reasons why people tend to judge and criticize others. I just wrote these down. I'm going to read them to you. Judging other, others boosts our own self image, makes us feel better about ourselves. When I point out your failures, I'm not thinking about my failures. Judging is often enjoyed. Ain't that sad? We enjoy it. There's a tendency in human nature to take pleasure in hearing and sharing bad news. Misery loves company. You know what I mean? They say if you have a bad experience at a restaurant, you'll tell 10 people. If you have a good experience, you might tell one. We love negativity. Judging makes us feel better that our own lives are better in our mind than the person who failed. I mean, I might be bad, but I ain't that guy. That's my line with Christine all the time. Gary, you didn't do this around. You find another husband who does as much. She goes, I'm not judging you by other husbands. I'm judging you by what I asked you to do. Oh. But if you called some other wives, but their husbands don't do all this, I don't care. I didn't marry their husbands. Judging helps us justify the decisions we have made and the things we have done throughout our lives. Helps us justify those. Judging points out to our friends how strong we are. Because we can't stand on our own merit, we've got to tear the people down. By tearing them down, it says, man, look how powerful my marriage is, or look how strong my business is, or look how good my character and my integrity is. Judging is often an outlet for hurt and revenge. We feel they deserve it. Subconsciously, we think, man, they hurt me, so they deserve to hurt too. So we judge a person who's failed. There's never anything glorifying to God in judging. 
So how do we stop judging? I'm gonna read a good bit of scripture here to you and then I'm gonna give you some points real quick and we're gonna go home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, John 8, where all the people gathered around and sat down to teach him. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the religious, brought a woman caught in adultery. Woman's caught in adultery. And the religious, instead of ministering to her, loving her, seeing how they can help her, they made her stand before the group. Makes me sick to my stomach. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was called in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap. And normally when they're asking me where we stand on certain people, they're using it as a trap. That's why I don't normally answer those questions. They already know where they stand. In order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down. He started to write in the ground before he got remember it was a dirt floor, so he started to write in the floor. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stopped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. They'd screwed up more. So only Jesus was left. Now people say, what did Jesus write on the ground? He don't say what he wrote on the ground. I gotta be honest with you though, if I'm making this movie, the way I'm visualizing this and the way people are walking away, I think he started writing their sins down on the ground. Oh yeah, I'm gone. I'm good. I'm out of here. Oh. Oh, oh. I don't know what he wrote on the ground, but that'd make the most sense to me. They started walking away, the older ones first. Oh, I didn't know you knew about that. <laughs> I mean, that was in my bedroom on the computer. I didn't know you saw that. You know, I'm sorry. At this, again, her walk away one time, the older ones first, and Jesus left the woman still saying, verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Check it out. He told her she was in sin. Don't miss that. He said, I don't judge you. This man had lived a perfect life. If anybody could have been like, man, he was Jesus. He said, I don't condemn you. I don't judge you. I don't look down on you. We all fall. We all make mistakes. They couldn't judge you. Go on your own way. That is a powerful portion of Scripture. And I see some principles in it. The first thing we need to do is we need to accept that you're not God. I don't care what you tell yourself. You're not God. I don't care if you've got people in your life for some weird way have convinced you that you are a God of your own world. You're not God. I'm just being honest with you. You won't find anybody more arrogant and more cocky and more God complex than me. And even I realize I'm not God. You're not God. Therefore, you don't get to judge. Second thing you're going to do is you're going to give an account for yourself. That'll keep you busy enough. You take your own spiritual inventory, your own personal inventory. You deal with your own baggage. I've shared this story a hundred times. The very first church I ever pastored, little independent fundamental Baptist church, they were nuts, they were crazy, they were insane. Little teenage girl in the church got pregnant. And old Miss Jabberjaw came along. Pastor, I don't know what we're going to do about this girl being pregnant. It's a bad example for the teenager. She is pregnant and blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I think, I said, what do you want me to do about it? 
Like I can't go back in a time machine and do anything about it. This way, I think you should seriously pray about them leaving the church. Oh, okay. Really? She's pregnant? I kind of feel like the church should be there for her. And this went on for weeks, man. She was on the phone. We had the, this is back when you had phone landline kids. And they called it the phone ministry. I can't believe pastor's not taking a stand on this. And blah, 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 blah. Where's his standards? And blah, blah. I knew he was too young. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, blah. Shut up. And this went on all the way to the point she found out her son was the daddy of that baby. And boy, she wanted grace then. There wasn't no talking about let's asking someone to leave the church. I, I don't even know if they remember this, and it's been so long. I, should, I normally ask before I tell these kind of stories, but when I first, we first started this church, Kylie and Betty started coming here, and their daughter got pregnant, Kara. And you remember coming to me like it was a big deal? Because you know how I was going to feel about it. I don't even know if you remember that. It seems so long ago. And I was like, oh, okay. And they were like, well, what? I said, well, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, what are, you, what are we supposed to do? And now we love that little kid. Yo, he's in the back now. There we go. Dang, my mother just told him something he's supposed to know. That's why I had some stories first. <laughs> like, who cares? Man, God takes beauty from ashes. Mosaic 28 says, man, Things work together for good of those who love the Lord. What you see is a mess. God says, I'm about to do a miracle. Give an account of yourself. Quit seeing people by their sin. We have AA and NA meets over here. I think it's great. People get offended every time I say this. But my only gripe with AA is this. I'm so-and-so, and I'm an alcoholic. No, you're a child of God. Quit identifying yourself by your sin. And identify yourself as God sees you. I'm an adulterer. I'm a thief. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. I'm a gossip. I'm a this. As long as you identify yourself by your actions instead of by Christ's actions on the cross, you're always going to be there. Quit seeing people by their sin and start seeing people as people. And then last of all, just love. No strings attached. Just love. Love the unlovable. It's hard. I get it. But just love. There's enough hate in the world. This church needs to always be in this house. We don't judge. I don't care what they do at the other house. I don't care what they do at the house on the hill or the house across town. In this house, we don't judge. We simply love. Just wanted to remind you that today. Let's pray.